on this episode of AV Week, the software-based AV systems, taking a look at NAB and CES, who have both mandated vaccines, and hacking in the AV industry. All that and more next on AV Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is AV Week, episode 522, recorded Friday, August 20th, 2021. Open Garden. Support for AV Nation is brought to you by Crestron and by Daylight, the leading producer of high-quality projection screens worldwide. This is AV Week, your weekly wrap-up of audiovisual news and information. My name is Tim Albright. I am your host with us to discuss the news and information we have together this, this week. First and foremost, four hours due west of me is the lovely young lady, Erica Williams from Henderson Engineers. Welcome, ma'am. Hi. Also with us, I guess I'll do Earl's closest to farthest away, uh, an old friend of ours, Nick Milani. Nick, Nick is now with Epiphan Video. Welcome, sir. Good to see you again, Tim. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. Uh, and just for the geography's sake, Nick is in New Jersey. Uh, and finally, last but not least, way over across the pond, uh, where it is still drinking time, uh, is our buddy Tom Milner from Service and Support. Welcome, sir. Hi, Tim. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. We mentioned the fact that it's drinking time because just in case, you know, Mitchell has to bleep something out, it will probably be Tom. All right. Um, all that. Here we go. Uh, if you have paid attention to the AV space anytime in the last, let's say, 10 days or so, you will be uh, uh, well aware of the fact that there is a number of cancellations happening for Cedia Expo. Cedia Expo is the uh, the residential, the, the custom integration channel um, uh, in, a trade show happening um, in Indianapolis, September 1st to the 3rd. AV Nation is going. I'm going. Uh, our buddy Chris Nutto right now is going. Danto is going. Uh, we've each got some some panels we're we're on. I'm going to be covering it from the the, the aviation side and, and interviewing folks that are on the show floor. However, there are quite a few that aren't going. CES announced this week uh, that all attendees must show proof of COVID-19 vaccination. CES, the Consumer Electronics Show, uh, the biggest uh, electronics show that happens in the world, happens in Vegas. NAB, the National Association of Broadcasters, followed suit a day later. So they are also uh, mandating a COVID-19 vaccination proof. CD Expo, massive exodus. Uh, they had 40, uh, over 40 exhibitors uh, pull out, most notably all of the big ones. So if you think about uh, the Infocom show floor and you think about a big booth, it's no longer there at Cedia. Infocom updated their safety protocols last week, mandating masks, six feet distancing. First and foremost on this, CES and NAB are in Las Vegas. Cedia is in Indianapolis, and Infocom is in Orlando, Florida. For those of you outside of the states, Mr. Milner and others, that means there's three separate laws, three separate guidelines, three separate restriction capabilities. Also based on other countries, uh, the, the spike looks to be at its peak roughly in the States. So, Erica, I'm going to start with you uh, as, as the, uh, the AV user of this group. What does a vaccine mandate do to you as a potential attendee? What does a mask mandate do to you? Does it do anything? Is it outside of this realm? It doesn't matter what the show organizers do. You're more concerned with what the, the actual variant is doing 
Um, I don't think it affects me too much personally. Um, here locally, we've already started to instate, you know, indoor mask mandates again. So it's become a way of life again. Um, we have local businesses that have already started to instate. You have to show vaccination before being alive. And we're talking like bars, you know, like you can't go into this bar or restaurant even without showing proof of vaccination. So it's, it's familiar. Um, honestly, at the end of the day, it makes me feel more comfortable. Um, you know, personally, I am vaccinated. So, you know, I do have that working in my favor. But at the end of the day, I, I take a conservative approach in that this is a public health issue and therefore we should be looking out for each other as a community, regardless of if that community is right here at home or it's our AB community. Um, we, need to, we need to be looking out for each other. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a messy business. Yeah, obviously, like you, like you said, Tim, you've got three different locations that are going to have three different laws. And I mean, it's there's no telling what's going to happen, um, honestly. Like we, our, our attorney general here in Missouri is filing lawsuits saying that it's unconstitutional to require mass, mass indoors. So, you know, with, with so many different locations and, and different, different, different government types or government types in the sense of how they're run based on, you know, people's political beliefs, you, you never know what's going to happen. And I think it's more important that these organizations work independently and they, they make decisions for themselves, not entirely based on what the laws are saying. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mentioned the fact that Erica is four hours due, due west of me. She lives in Missouri. Technically, I live, I tell people I live in St. Louis, but I literally live on the Illinois side of, of St. Louis. So I actually have a completely different set of, of governors and, and uh, governor, a governor and a um, attorney general. Uh, Mr. Milner, um, Live Nation also announced this week, Live Nation in the U.S., they're a concert promoter, but they also own a number of venues. You have to have a vaccine mandate to get into their venues even. Uh, and they're pushing up against some uh, governors, including the governor of Florida, where Infocom will be held. Uh, who's also being sued by cruise ship uh, companies because he says you can't mandate a mask, you can't mandate the, the vaccine. The cruise ships are saying, Just like hell, we can't. Uh, so, Tom, when, when you look at this, what do you want to hear from from show organizers? And when do you want to hear it? I mean, the fact that CES is is five months away and they're already saying you got to have a, a vaccine mandate is that what you want to hear you know five or six months in advance or even before this this variant um you know kind of went where you know works its way out well i think the uh, the interesting thing is is here tim is that um i think ces are actually planning for the next variant they're not planning for this one mm. um you know they're, they're actually thinking ahead and they're already thinking uh, these shows that are going to go ahead this year, uh, they're going to take the most of the pain uh, because they're the ones that are dealing with the unknown. You know, the uh, the shows that have actually occurred in the US have actually been few and far between, really, compared to uh, the last show that was on in uh, in Europe with ISE uh, back in 2019. Because no, 2020, 2020. 2020. It was 2020. Hang on, yeah. It was 2020 right as this whole thing was starting. Yeah. yeah. And, and if it had been two weeks later, it wouldn't have happened. Yep. So uh, a lot of people say that that ISE was the best show ever because it was uh, you know, sparsely populated by attendees and they got to actually speak to uh, all the, the uh, exhibitors that they wanted to. But the interesting thing is here is, you know, there's all the various different companies that are attending. Um, they're obviously all thinking about their employees, um, but they're yep. also thinking about the cost uh, as to if they don't get enough exhibitors through the door, uh, what's the point in doing it? Now, 
when you put that into context and actually realise that everyone wants to go to the shows, there's no doubt about that. We all want to meet up with each other. We all want to, uh, you know, have the face-to-faces that we haven't had in 18 months or so. Um, but we've actually got to be sensible about this. Um, you know, the UK's doing okay at the moment because obviously we, we got ahead of the game with uh, vaccinations and we haven't got quite as many naysayers as there are perhaps in, in the US uh, saying that they don't want the vaccine. We pretty much exclusively want it. Um, you know, that we've got some, uh, some younger people uh, and some perhaps uh, people with longer hair wearing sandals who say that it's all chemicals that they don't want in their bodies but you know it is what it is um the the pure and simple thing is here you've got to have the vaccine mandate you've got to because you're actually trying to protect as many of those people as possible that are attending and guess what the people that they're going home to as well but you're also doing the same with the mask mandate because you don't have to be six feet away from each other but actually if you're wearing a mask um you, you, you can talk freely, you can interact, you can still attend the show. But when I saw that uh, ISE is saying, well, you've got to be six feet away from each other, to me, that killed the show. That killed the show. What, what's the point in standing six feet away from each other and shouting at each other through a mask? Especially when the aisles are four feet wide. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, six feet away from each other, uh, you'd have to have a much, much bigger uh, convention area to actually fit all those people in if you're having a standard attendance. You know, because otherwise, they're not going to be six feet away from each other. So it's an arbitrary number that actually if you just do the other two things, which obviously is completely against the uh, the governor of Florida's idea as to what you should be doing because he's got all his money invested in the uh, uh, company that's doing the um, uh, Regeneron or whatever it's called. Um, you know, it, it's just a complete crockish. There you go. There's one. There's should one. Should have got my drink ready. <laughs> so I don't know. I, I, I think that the shows should go ahead. But, you know, knowing that the majority of the attendees are going to be really sensible about it, they're going to be washing their hands, they're going to be using their hand sanitizer, and they'll be, you know, you know, bashing elbows, kicking feet, whatever it is that they do to greet each other. They're not going to be giving big hugs. Or if they are, Frankly, they're a little bit silly still at the moment, um, you know, because you can have have uh, the vaccine, but you can still carry the virus around and spread it to others. Just don't do that. Yeah, the the idea that you can spread it to others is is you, I have a number of folks who are, are not going to to Cedia uh, because they have young children at home, people who kids who are not able to to get the vaccine yet. Yeah. Um, before, Nick, before I get you in there, just just so I've said this and and I've made this, but I am going to every show this year, right? I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm, I'm booked to go to NAB. I am going to Cedia to, to cover it. I'm going to Infocom, but it's, I think it's important to say, you know, as long as they have the show, we're going to do it safely, but we are going to go, right? I'm not going to judge anybody who does. I'm not going to judge anybody who doesn't, right? So that, that's kind of my, my two cents in it is, as far as, as my own opinion on this. And I get, it's not even my opinion. It's just, you know, I'm, I'm safe. I'm vaccinated. We're going to go. Yeah. Um, Nick, both from an attendee standpoint, but also somebody who's, who's, you know, exhibited there and manufacturing, you know, when you look at, at this kind of talk both from the ROI of, of getting as many people there, but also, 
longer time with people, right? Because because Tom mentioned, well, if there's fewer people, then you're going to have more time with, with somebody. Is there is, is that does that play out? Is there a balance there? Well, I, I think there naturally is, but I I think first off we have to probably acknowledge that these are going to devolve into regional shows. And, and part of the beauty of these events historically is that they were international events. So we were able to, as manufacturers, go get a very broad sample and engage with customers from all over the world. And really, you know, th- th- there's something to that, right? And so, you know, as we think about the restrictions, you know, we're a Canadian-based company. So we have a unique challenge in that the United States government won't allow Canadians into the country right now. So we have real restrictions for our ability or to Brit, present. Or, or right, Brit. A lot of folks. Well, there's right? a reason so, for you, but that's beside the point. <laughs> You know, so I think there's there's some of those pragmatic challenges, but you know, the actual event itself, I think there is going to be uh, probably a good in-depth networking and opportunities. I find it a little bit curious, uh, the idea of six-foot mandates with masks when you're trying to have a social event in a loud space. I don't know about you all, but you know, I find it very difficult to even have a conversation with people in masks and loud, because most people read lips in order to understand what's going on, right? There's a there's a bit, you know, when you're in a bar, you, you have to watch what the person's saying because you can't, you know, understand them otherwise. Uh, but but that aside, you know, if it is a regional event, I, I, what I see happening is, you know, I'll be personally attending, but I, I, I think there's going to be a huge drop off in, in corporate sponsorship. And unfortunately, I think there's going to be a little bit of a, a chicken game that gets played as we approach the event. And all of a sudden, much like Cedia, you get two weeks outside the event. And what it really comes down to is when you get to the logistics costs of shipping the booth which ends up being a $20,000 cost for a, you know, even an organization as small as ours, uh, then all of a sudden you start looking really hard and saying, wait a second, is it worth the money and is the ROI there? Because, you know, in an event, if you can go in, if you think that there's going to be a quarter of the attendees, but the costs haven't changed and you still have the same overhead and the same T&E, and more importantly, by the way, you know, Epifan's seen an explosion in our business over the last year and a half. And frankly, we need our salespeople out working with our customers and helping to, you know, drive business and them standing in a trade show hall staring at other vendors and networking and having drinks while it might be great for everybody it might be fun uh, it doesn't actually help them achieve their number or help us drive the business forward so i think there's real headwinds here and we also have to acknowledge what we're seven months off from the next event you know, at some point, we just need to roll our focus into 2022. You know, I, I saw something online the other day that said, you know, we feel like I just recovered from 2020 and there's only four months left in 2021. And so th- there's just a reality to these things, right? That I think there's just a lot of challenges. And I, and I love the fact, Tim, that you bring up children because I think that is the biggest concern. You know, I'll, I'll, if all of us are vaccinated, if people are showing up unvaccinated, that gives a chance to bring it home to our families. And that's just... Um, yeah, that's a that's a real decision that everyone has to make, and I respect everyone's decision the way they make it. But that's that's a real concern, especially as we go into the school, the fall school year, uh, what that looks like through our through the challenges. I think a lot of families have struggled with, with you know, a society where both parents work, trying to manage home health, all right, home home uh, daycare, homeschooling. It's just been a mess for a lot of people, and it's put a lot of stress on a lot of people's relationships and, uh, and put a lot of stress on people's finances. It's been a big challenge. So there's just some realities to the whole thing. Yeah, absolutely there is. Absolutely there is. And, and here's the thing. This is not the last time that we will talk about it on this program. Uh, just guarantee, guarantee that I was, I was making the, <laughs> writing up the notes from, from – and I, I write over the notes from last week. And it's like, sure enough, we, we talked about – you know, COVID last week. So it, it, it's, it, it's a continuing story, certainly. I, I, I agree with everything that Nick said, by the way, but I, I'm going to be a little bit more of a pessimist. This is still going into 2022. It's not going to be 2020, well, end of 2022, 2023, that we're actually going to see normalcy. 
Well, at some point, we might have to accept that this is just going to be a new viral load on our societies that until we accept vaccination in mass, I don't know how we're going to get away with that. In, in terms of what, what people want to get back to, you know, what they experienced back in 2019, it's not going to be until the end of 2022, early 23, that we can even begin mm. to get back to that, in my opinion. So, you know, all, all the various shenanigans going on in the world where it's politically motivated or whatever, the shows have an opportunity to either, you know, be really bold about it like uh, CES have and, and you yep. know, said about the vaccine mandate, get the mask mandate on as well. That's, that's ultimately all they can do. Then it's down to the individual to decide whether or not they go. But honestly, what, what I think of Dixer have done so far, it's just the wrong decisions. And, you know, bear in mind they're close links to ISE. Uh, you know, we saw what happened this year with ISE and you know, the debacle that uh, was the, their roadshow. You know, it's absolutely pointless. And the return on investment that uh, Nick mentioned is absolutely crucial to all the exhibitors. If they're not getting a return on investment, why, why even bother going to these big shows? So it will turn back into everyone just wanting to do regional shows or just their own shows. That's the other possibility. That is a possibility. The one thing about uh, Avixa, the reason I mentioned this at the start is they are in Florida, right? So they, they've got constraints that, that NAB and CES do not have. Yeah. So that's kind of the interesting thing. And I think what may end up happening um, or a version of this for ISC is kind of what happened this year. Right, a regionalized, and you guys both said it. You know, these these might become regional shows, or maybe we have one big ISC, and then and then they break it up into those who don't feel comfortable. Then you do have a regional, a localized ISC. Uh, I can certainly see that happening as well. So it'll be interesting. So side note, before we move on to the next one, really quick, um, I just remembered a conversation we had on our team. Um, so we have uh, software developers, and they're going to a conference in Atlanta. The uh, Render Render Conference in Atlanta, and they just announced the other day that they are going to be um, requiring proof of vaccine or a negative COVID test, and they are going to be doing rapid tests on every attendee before they're allowed to enter the venue. Wow. Holy cow. Wow. And, and for those of you, again, outside of the States, that is a conservative um, uh, state that uh, would not quite be in line with Florida, but closer to Florida than than Nevada, certainly. So that, that is interesting. I'm happy to watch that one, too. When is that one, Erica? Um, it's the Render Conference in Atlanta. I'll make Mitchell look it up. September 13th through the 15th. Still pretty close. Uh, next story. Uh, T-Mobile was hacked again, I can say, and I'll tell, tell you what that means in a minute. Uh, T-Mobile here in the States, uh, cell phone carrier, was hacked and exposed 100 million customers data a group on the dark web is claiming to have obtained the information and is selling it for six bitcoin or two hundred eighty thousand dollars i guess which what a steal by the way i Uh, mean can we well if we chip in a bitcoin we got this thing i don't want to have to buy back my own data okay i'm I'm involved in this so and it's it's not even that's the thing is you, the, the story that stories on from Wired, it's your data's already out well, there. Well, but we got to stop allowing that. You know this this argument that oh well the government already knows or they already have our data or it's already out there. That's bullshit. 
we've got to stop we got to stop allowing that there needs to be data protection in all the countries and the eu is so far advanced and what they're doing compared to the states you know there would be financial repercussions if that was a european-based company and erica you would be seeing yourself yep. as, as actually getting a financial settlement instead here what you see is oh well they already have the information it's bs we have to stop accepting that this is not 1995 you know, here we, we, excuses, it's all it? excuses and it's, it's excuses designed to protect the corporations from the realities of the cost of not protecting our data, which in the first place, if you really want to get me going, because I know you do, Tim, where are the data privacy laws and the data transparency laws? Like, did you realize, Erica, that you were giving them that information when you signed up? No. And now all of a sudden somebody has access to it for a relatively low cost of money. It's time for real change. Yeah, I think. The thing that worries me specifically about this is the IMEI numbers, you know, like it's one thing, you know, I've, okay. I've, I've got notifications of having, you know, have my information in the, in the Equifax breach and any, and other breaches. So it's like, okay, well, here we go again, this sucks, but it's that IMEI number that's specifically tied to my cell phone and what they can so, do. So with pause for a second there, Erica, explain to folks who aren't familiar. Cause I wasn't, I had to look it up what that means. The IMEI number. Okay, so uh, the IMEI number, so if you pull, if you grab your cell phone and you pull out your SIM card, or if you look in your settings, your IMEI number is a specific identifier to your device and to your SIM card. So when people have that IMEI number, they can essentially spoof it. They can swap it out. They can deactivate your cell phone and start using your information and your data. And they've already got so, they use it for really, really intense social engineered phishing scams. So the data, the data that they're gathering, they're not only gathering your data, your personal information, they're, they're, they're pretending to be you on a very, very personal level that it, it makes it so much easier to confuse people. You know, it's not like getting an email where you can hover over the link just to make sure it's a good link or not. It's, it's, a, it's a legitimate text message. And it, at the rate that these, these hackers are going, they can, they can wordsmith some pretty, pretty convincing stuff. So that that's that's the scariest part about this T-Mobile hack is that is that IMEI number piece. Well, I, th I think, you know, the vision of cell phones at the beginning, I, you know, I worked at Motorola very early in my career, and Ed Zander, uh, who was a CEO when I was a, a young engineer there, talked about how the cell phone is the one device that stitches together our entire digital life, right? Every aspect of my life comes together on this device, and it's one of the only places where it does. And the ability for them to gain that sort of information is disturbing. And people should be, if, if people were paying attention They'd be outside with pitchforks right now. Yet the thing that frustrates me the most is that, again, no legislation, no government action. In fact, they're just sticking their head in the sand. And let's just be honest. It's because all the government officials are getting paid off by these big businesses to look the other way. And at some point we've got to thank you. Right? At some point we've got to step forward. And you know, again, bravo to the EU for actually having some real data laws. And if they didn't have them, by the way, we wouldn't even be implementing GDPR in most of the organizations in the United States. Because the truth is, most companies are only even doing baseline data protection efforts because of the Europeans, because they've been forced to. Yeah. And yep. it's 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 time that uh, you know Americans get upset, step forward. And if we're going to be a technological leader in the world, we also need to be a data privacy leader in the world, and uh, really start working as consumers the same way is not all it's cracked out to be, but it's better than nothing right. i mean it's a step forward Absolutely. right it, it's it's totally better than nothing the gdpr is uh, is is one of those things that it, on paper it looks great in in terms of implementation and uh, use of it honestly it's very poorly policed uh, they tend to focus on the wrong things and uh, go after the wrong people for doing it ever so slightly wrong 
um, or, or not perhaps implementing as, as, as stringently as they, they need to. Um, but I can tell you right now, you know, we, we've had GDPR for nearly three years here now, and uh, I get more spam now than I ever did before. Mm. Interesting. So how good yeah. is it? But you also have to remember, too, the way that our government is run. When it's convenient for the, the federal government, they allow states to make their own independent laws. So as long as the, the, the federal government is under the guise of, oh, well, the states have the right to make their own opinion. I mean, you look at California and you look at the CCPA laws out in California, you know, it's, you know, maybe we start on a smaller level and start to push it locally in our states. And that's going to have a major impact on companies that that are located in multiple states. But if you start getting the companies starting to shift it, then that's, you know, obviously the, the, the government is, I don't want to say controlled, but strongly influenced by the companies. So start small and hope it gets bigger. Well, and I actually think it starts way upstream. And this is something that nobody's addressed is that for years I've said, we need something similar to a tr truth in lending law as a truth in data law. You know, these 120 page mm you know, uh, giving my life away to these companies, Legalese. right? It, it's ridiculous. They, they need to summarize it into, you know, 20 basic factors that we can read and that we get to say no to it. And and that's the stuff where nobody really wants to address it because frankly, these companies are making too much money off our data and they're paying too many legislatures and they're, you know, the, the lobbyists are getting in there. The amount of money that's being exchanged based on our personal information is just insane. And the hard part is that the majority of Americans, and I'll speak for my countrymen, the majority of Americans have no clue how, how manipulative that's being used against us and how much that's leading to a lot of the social problems we're having, a lot of the economic challenges. I mean, it's coming back in, in so many nefarious ways that we just don't realize. And unfortunately, as somebody that's been involved probably too close to that data for too long in my career, uh, you know, I'm the one that gets ranty at the uh, the wine tasting and everybody thinks it's like, uh, oh, there goes Nick on his rant about data, but it, it, it's playing out. We're seeing it in real time. We've got to get in front of this stuff. And I think it starts actually really early on with very simple legal language, with very clear data uh, transparency, so that consumers understand exactly what they're giving when they download whatever random app and they give the XYZ yeah. government access to their facial data, which then can be used against them in all kinds of nefarious ways. There's a really good documentary on Netflix that talks specifically about that stuff called The Social Dilemma, and it covers how those social media sites are mining and selling and using your information. So. If you haven't watched that yet, I highly recommend it. And I will give you—I'll give you one more, and, and it'll—this one will scare, you know, scare you. Um, the infotainment systems. Make sure that you are are looking into those and the information that they're gathering and giving away, not personal necessarily, right? So I, I can't tell that that you know that that Tim Albright is a crazy driver and speeds everywhere he goes. I'm not admitting to that, just in case any legal people or law enforcement are listening. But it can tell that a middle-aged white guy in St. Louis speeds everywhere he goes, and you you sell that to insurance companies. So sound really yeah, guilty that, there tonight, Tim. I don't know what you're talking about. All right, last story. <laughs> Go, last story. Uh, it's actually a unique perspective on Crestron Insurance uh, team up. Uh, Harry uh, Stendel, which is an old friend uh, from uh, from Europe. He writes in AV Magazine that the team certification of Shore, uh, their DSP, Intellimix, and Crestron's Flex have implications beyond those two companies and those team certifications. 
quick note, both of those, uh, Sure and Crestron, are, are sponsors of Aviation. Uh, Harold goes on to outline the massive impact, quote-unquote, that he says of these announcements. One, you've got AV installs that are becoming, as he calls them, PC-free zones. Now, that there's not a PC, you just don't see it, just like most of, of AV gear anymore. They're hidden in racks, just like the other gear. Uh, that also lays the groundwork for deeply integrated systems, and it opens the gates to PC-based software for AV, not just DSP, but also uh, it lays the groundwork for uh, for uh, video matrixing based on, on software. Um, Nick, I'm going to pick on you first. When you look at the impact of these two announcements and you look at what Harold says is going down the road of software-driven, software-based um, solutions where, you know, service providers could put these in, Software developers could say, oh, you know, all of your, your video and your audio is they're just packets anyway, so I can create a software-based solution and you don't need a piece of gear anymore. What, what's the, uh, the real impact of going down this road? Well, first off, I think he did a tremendous job of taking the news and really projecting it forward. Frankly, he did a better job of storytelling than the uh, the manufacturers did. Uh, you know, but it, it makes sense, right? I think this is just the evolution of the industry. You've heard this endless debate since I joined the industry six years ago around the you know consumption of AV into the IT world or however you want to describe it. Uh, the reality is, is that you have compute and then you have applications and everybody segments their software and their solutions that way. Every mature industry does. Uh, there's a place for purpose built because I think there's mission critical involved in a lot of this. But ultimately, uh, first thing I'll say is that by, by doing this and the talk about like putting it away and hiding it back is technology should be like plumbing for work. You know, when I go to my sink, I don't worry about how the water got to the faucet. I just want hot to come out when I turn the hot side and cold to come out when I come to the cold side because that's the most intuitive thing we can do. And so you, you, you see this kind of push further and further in that space. The second thing is that I think that as organizations continue to evolve their technology away from proprietary hardware to PC-based applications or Android-based applications or any type of standards-based applications, you see this opportunity to create greater leverage. And this is all empowering the consumer. It's also incredibly empowering to our channel, to our industry, but we have to evolve our business practices. And this is something, Tim, you know, from, from my experience uh, working at Crestron for a number of years and, and supporting a lot of their cloud initiatives. You know, it, it's a challenge to get the, the, the dealers to actually change the way they think about implementing. And it comes down to simple things like how they compensate their salespeople, how they actually report their financials, and how they think about their strategy of what they're trying to achieve. But ultimately, what I think is going to happen is a result of this, if you project it down the road, is that you're going to see um, the, the really successful organizations going out and saying, I see that these applications serve my customer and ultimately serve the simplicity of use. And by doing that, there will be an ongoing revenue stream. There'll be a re retainment of a customer that will serve my organization for decades to come if I stay focused on the outcomes. Instead, too often, we're focused on maximizing gross profit on the four rooms we're staring at today, and that is the trap. And so hopefully this just continues to open people's eyes to the possibilities of what this next world and this new frontier is going to look like. And I, I think uh, bravo to Crestron and sure the real achievement here is for them to actually agree and put it in the same device. And I think yeah. that opening that up, you know, also look at what Crestron did with the scheduling solutions. Another great example where you buy a scheduling panel, but you have 30 different vendors that you can put onto that device, allowing the customer to evolve it over time. That's actually a very analogous uh, uh, situation. So 
I think what the, the, the you know a lot of the a lot of the smaller hardware manufacturers are going to be I think scrambling a little bit to figure out how do they catch up to this and how do we create ecosystems that aren't walled gardens but actually allow people to uh, run the applications they need to in service of their employees because at the end of the day Definitely. that's what customers are going to buy based on. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Erica, kind of the same venue here. Uh, Erica is in charge of, of a lot of the AV when it comes to uh, Henderson. Um, you're looking at this, you know, is this something that, that's interesting to you guys? Is it something that's interesting to you as, as we kind of make this migration over to software base where you can kind of dictate your own hardware? Or is it something where you would rather have the hardware uh, and just, you know, tell me what I need and we, we're going to put it in? We're already doing it. So this is actually my my bread and butter. I'm currently sitting on uh, about 25 Zoom Room systems right now, uh, where we've got about eight of the 25 done, but this is this is the direction that we're going. Um, the, the, over the years, the, the complexity of the systems, the, the frustrations for the users, you know, our, our main priority is what is going to be the easiest thing for our users to handle. That's our number one priority. And then our second priority is you know, we, we do a lot of, of everything in-house. You know, we, we do we do partner with an integrator for purchasing and the larger scale, you know, like the, the, the larger scale projects where, you, you know, it can't be just a PC you know, and USB devices. Uh, but we do a lot in-house. So, you know, first is what's going to be easiest for the users? What's going to be a good experience for the users? And that's from the time you walk in the room to the time your meeting ends. And then the second thing is what is the best what is the best solution for our support team? What's the most transparent, single pane of glass? Like, what's the easiest way for our support team to, to do this? So, you know, if you're looking at a $40,000 integrated room with a codec and a DSP and Crestron control and an iPad and all that stuff, you know, those are all different moving parts and pieces. And our internal staff, you know, if, if something breaks and something goes wrong right before a board meeting, that's really complex for our team to have to try and really get in there and figure it out, especially for the newer people who come on. But if you just have a PC, based room that's just running an application with some USB devices, that's a heck of a lot quicker, a heck of a lot easier for you to figure out. So not only are you, you're solving your problems quicker, you're building the confidence of your team and it's, you know, it's, it's a chain effect. And I did not hear about the, the, the sure and the Crestron thing, but I'm super freaking excited. I can't wait. You know, obviously the room I'm in right now is a smaller type of huddle room. We wouldn't necessarily need something that complex. Um, but you know, when we get into the bigger, more client-facing rooms or our, our boardroom type of things, having that extra layer of, you know, this company really knows their stuff. You know, let's let's get this kind of thing in here. Like, it's awesome that that's available. Like, I'm super, I'm, I'm so pumped for this. So pumped. Well, there we go. All right. Uh, Mr. Milner, you'll have the last word on this. Where do you see uh, this as, when it comes to whether it's commercial, whether it's, you know, the retail space, you know, where do you see the, this software drive going? Um, uh, again, I'll, I'll be the pessimist, I'll be the negative nearly in the room. Um, I don't necessarily say it as a good thing because it completely changes the profile of uh, the, the service that you require post-install. Mm. Uh, you need uh, you know, much more complex and knowledgeable service engineers than perhaps you did with just pure hardware who would swap a device. Um, but the other problem is, is uh, you know, they're, they're saying they're going to develop uh, the, these various bits of software to, to do all these wonderful things. Based on what platform, you know, what what agreed um, protocols are they going to use? So, could you end up with thirty different or, or more uh, implementations of something that does the same thing, uh, and one won't talk to the other? Who knows? You know, th th this is the one problem with anything software-wise. They all tend to do it in silos, 
unless they're actually following a, a, an initial protocol that they they developed too, it could none of it could work with each other. So what good is that? It could you know it could work great for some organisations that just need it for their internal stuff, but if you're looking at something that needs to go globally, uh, well you just can't guarantee that everyone's going to be able to use the same thing. So uh, yeah, to to give you the best example. Something that goes on in France, uh, you know, France, uh, especially to the UK, they're the ones that were always the rabble rousers and uh, basically saying, no, unless it's developed by the French, we're not interested. What happens when that happens? You know, then you, you know, you've, you've got the, the, the monster that is China and what software development they do. Is it safe? Is it secure? Wow, yeah, all the various things that can go wrong probably will go wrong. Uh, but it is an evolution. It's something that I'm sure a lot of people would like to see, uh, you know, the simplicity of the interface and all that kind of stuff it's, if it's developed right. But the background behind it can be an absolute mire, an absolute, uh, you know, disgusting thing to be involved with because um, it's so difficult to actually keep going. But that's me, you know. I'm always a hard work guy. All right. No, 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 you're, it's awesome. I, I appreciate the contrarian view. So, all right, guys, that'll do it uh, for this week. Uh, Erica Williams, thank you so much. How do people connect with you or Henderson Engineers? Thank you, thank you. Always a pleasure. Um, check out hendersonengineers.com. We've got some really great stuff going on and quite a few positions open if you want to be somewhere awesome. Check it out. Um, you can find me on Twitter at HaircutFW or Erica Williams on LinkedIn. And Mr. Tom Milner, thank you, sir. How do people connect with you or service and support? Uh, on Twitter, at ServSup, S-E-R-V-S-U-P-P. Um, you know, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn as well if anyone wants to find me. But, you know, anyone who wants uh, any kind of global implementation, rollout, whatever they need, come find us at our website, www.servantsupportlimited.co.uk. All right, for me, for Tim Albright, don't follow me on the Twitters, but go by the website, avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others. The other weekly one that we do is called Resi Week. It looks at the residential side, the CDA side of the industry. Uh, they'll be covering CDA uh, as well as I will uh, going over to CDA. Uh, so you can check out all that. All that. Also go to... Um, our website and get ready for Infocom. As I mentioned before, uh, we're going to Cedia unless it cancels. We're going to Infocom unless it cancels. Don't th don't see that happening. We have and uh, an AV users uh, um, party happening on the 26th. Uh, it is uh, at the Ice Bar. Uh, you can go to uh, avnation.tv forward slash Infocom dash 2021. Find out all the things that we're doing. Uh, finding out, out the ways that we're keeping safe, but also. Uh, connecting and networking. So, and uh, you can also check out our sponsors that are helping us um, cover Cedia, cover Infocom, and bring you AV Week every single week. So, all that and more at avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you so much for watching. That's all the time we have for AV Week.